Good morning, everyone, and uh, happy June 14th. You know, if you've been tuning into our e-news, you know that we put out the word that, that barring some unexpected turn of events, we are hoping to open in person again for worship on July 12th. So T minus, what, 28 days, I guess we have in front of us. But again, so just glad that you're, you're live streaming in with us this morning. And today is questions you never thought you could ask in church. Reagan alluded just a moment ago that what we want you to do today is pull out your cell phone. Now, maybe you're watching on your cell phone already and this is super easy, but if you're in front of your laptop or a tablet or, or, or your TV screen, make sure to have this with you. Because what I want you to do today is text in any question that you have. Any question goes on God, theology, the Bible, Christianity, how Christianity compares to other religions, fellowship of faith. The next few months for us here as we unfold and everything else and the way it all intersects with life. Any question is fair game. We're going to in invite you to text those questions in. And what's going to happen is I'm going to get them anonymously. And I'm going to do the best job I can to answer them here today in real time on the spot. Now, we have been doing this at Fellowship of Faith for a number of years now. And it has proven to be just an incredible way to connect with you. Do you know... It's so easy as a pastor to get so wrapped up in what I want to talk about over here that I can lose sight of what you're thinking about over there. And this is an opportunity for us to come together. More than that, it's because we believe church should be the best place in the world to ask the deepest, hardest, and most difficult questions about God. Sadly, this isn't always the case. Maybe your background with the church has been a place where questioning was considered sinful or forbidden. And while no one struck it down per se, there was this sense that if you raised questions, you were in somehow doing something wrong or that you were in some way risking lack of faith. And heaven forbid, there's lack of faith. Guys, we couldn't believe anything is further from the truth. We believe Christianity is messy and difficult and hard and confusing because the way of Jesus is messy and difficult and hard and confusing, which is why we have this thing called church. It's so we can come together to help each other on the journey. And that has to start with being honest about our questions. You know, here at Fellowship of Faith, we have, we have a core value that is so rooted in our DNA that marks what we want to be a, a, about as community, that really paves the way for what we're doing today. I want to share it with you here. Here at FOF, we have a desire to be real. We believe the church needs to be a place, it says, where people can come and see that Christians are real people experiencing real joys, passions, and struggles. Because of this, we strive to communicate God's truth and share our experiences in open and honest ways. We believe it's important as a community to be honest about our shortcomings, authentic in our lives and sincere in what we teach. We want to be humble as a church and express our faith in a way that is genuine. 
And what that means is asking our questions, daring to ask the questions. Maybe there is a question you have about God that you have carried around and had nowhere to ask. This is your opportunity. Maybe there's this question that you've had that's always nagged at you and you never felt like you were able to find sufficient answers or at least direction. I encourage you to take a stab at it again today. Maybe there's a question you have that you're just embarrassed of. You're like, oh my gosh, I should know this or I'm the only one in the world asking something like this. I assure you, you're not the only one in the world asking it. And even if you are, celebrate that God is raising up a unique set of questions for you. So what I want you to do right now is to text whatever questions you have to the number that you see on your screen. That's 815-314-0363. Anything goes to 815-314-0-F-O-F. And I'm already hearing this start to ding in the back and I'll get them in real time. Now, as the questions start to come in, I also want to invite you to a specific line of questions because over the next two weeks, there is a lot unfolding, the next two months, excuse me, there is a lot unfolding here at Fellowship of Faith. And today, specifically what I'd also like to speak into are the questions you might have about reopening what it's going to be, what it's going to look like. Use this as the venue to start flushing out any questions you might have about July 12th. But know that it can also go broader than that to whatever you have that you're wrestling with in your spiritual journey and your pursuit of God. So I want to kick this off today with a question that actually came in via email regarding the reopening that we've had, that, 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 that we're planning. And I'm just going to take selections of this, but let me read it to you. This person writes, I have, from the start, believed that the governor had no authority to suspend the First Amendment to the United States Constitution and close churches or limit assembly." My inner rebel wanted to defy him and continue a Sunday service and Wednesday study. Gosh, I miss Wednesdays. I've read about some churches defying the governor. My inner rebel cannot help but cheer them on. I would be most interested in your take on all of this. The early Christians certainly must have had difficulties congregating. Some were fed to lions for daring to follow the way. Your recent messages have been uplifting and I need it. I get quite depressed over the stripping of individual rights. Can you provide some insight to this specific situation? Yeah, I would love to and I thank you so much for asking. Of course, you're not the only one who has struggled with this. There's been a difficulty among many Christian churches through this of both wanting to keep people safe from a health perspective, but also knowing the importance to gathering together is God-honoring and something he also wants us to do. And of course, as the governor and other state officials have had the difficult job of trying to contain the outbreak of a virus while simultaneously allowing people to live their lives, of course, inequities seem to come to the surface. One notable one is that why can a thousand people gather in a Walmart, but only 10 can gather 
in a congregation, more ironic if it's a larger congregation that could seat hundreds, if not thousands. And there's been a conversation between the state and the churches that have been going on with these things. You know, a lot has developed. A lot has developed over the last couple of months. And to bring some clarity, as of now, there are no longer restrictions in the state of Illinois on churches. There was at one point, but they have since been lifted. If you read the actual law, now it is recommendations. And I won't tire you by walking you through all the recommendations, but here at Fellowship of Faith and many other churches are both trying to honor those recommendations while still remaining faithful to God. It's always a tough polarity. As Christians, we're called to honor the governing authorities, even when we don't like it, even when it's not something we would choose, even when it goes against the grain of our desires. Yet at the same time, there is always an obedience to God that trumps whatever a governing authority might state. But the way of Christ in those situations is to suffer to take your licks. Now, as Americans, we have this incredible opportunity to petition our government to create laws and policy the way we would like them to see. But the way of Jesus often means suffering, which means that if we choose to go in a way defiant of the government, we got to make sure we're doing it in obedience to God. And if we do, letting whatever we receive as a consequence stand as a testimony to our unwavering faith in him. Tertullian in the times of persecution put it greatly, and he said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So here at FOF, we sought to honor the governing authorities in a way to love our neighbor as ourselves and contain disease, but the time has come to begin reopening and uh, yeehaw. July 12th. Great question. All right. This is filled up. Let me jump in. Oh my gosh. Where do I even begin? Okay. Here we go. Here's a question on practice. Will we be taking communion as usual? And the short answer is no. When we resume in-person worship, it will not be as usual but we will start taking communion again. Now, in very early July, we're going to be releasing through E! News a lot more details of what our reopening plan will look like, including communion. As of now, and I say this specifically, as of now, we are not planning communion in July, but instead waiting until August to get some other things kind of working and give this a little bit more time to develop. Now, we've seen many other churches that are doing individually wrapped communion packets and things like that. God bless them, and I respect what they're trying to do. It just feels a little happy meal to me. So we're opting instead to just forego it for a couple more Sundays after we're in person, but then when we gather in August, practicing it again with other various kinds of safety protocols in place. But I don't know about you. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Thank you for asking on that. All right. How about this? If I can't come to the building, 
will the service still be on Facebook Live? And additionally, will we be going back to our regular church times of 9 and 10.30 when we open up? Yes and yes, live stream is here to stay. We know that some of you are so eager to get out that you're like banging on the glass right now trying to get in the door. You would have been worshiping with us in person yesterday, right? But we know that there's others of you who are a little more cautious about stepping back into crowded situations. Well, when in-person resumes, live stream will continue as well, and you will have the option to gather here or continue to watch from your home or wherever you might be with your tablet or iPad. Now, additionally, we will be going back on July 12th, on July 12th, not on June 21st, not on June 28th, on July 12th to 9 and 10.30 worship times. This, I think, helps separate overcrowding at one time, and live stream will be occurring at those times, 9 and 10.30 as well. All right, how about this? Oh, how about this? What is your response? What is your response to people changing their gender? How does God see this? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked, and this is, of course, something that has gotten so much attention in the last couple of years, especially. Here's my response. When I see someone who's considered changing their gender, wants to change their gender, or has changed their gender through a variety of ways, be it surgical, hormonal, or just in terms of how they purport themselves and appearance, I see a person who's struggling. You know, no one, I've got to believe, makes a decision like that lightly. No one goes, hmm, I just want to be a different gender today and then follows through with it to those nth degree kind of ways. When I see a human being, I see a person who I generally believe is probably deeply troubled and, convict and conflicted inside, wrestling with just not feeling right in their own skin, maybe hurt, maybe wounded, maybe confused, maybe looking for acceptance. Who knows what the motivations might be, but someone who's struggling deeply. And I see someone like that, and my response is often compassion. It's to see someone like that and go, that is a person who is searching and hurting. And I think that the way of Jesus means to love people who are searching and hurting. Whatever you might think about the choices that they make in the midst of it is another conversation we can have. But it has to start and always starts with a response of concern and compassion for a human being whom God loves that are trying to find their way through confusion and in a difficult place in life in this world. And I think the best things that we can do as Christians is to love people. To love people whether we agree with their choices. To love people whether we think that what they're stating is true or not. So glad you asked. That's my response for you today. Okay. How about this? What was Samson's dad's name? <laughs> you know, 
What's funny about this question is it's not random, whoever asked, because this was just on Moody Bible Radio on Janet Parshall's show about 10 days ago, and my bet is you picked up on that and you're screwing with me here today. Well, I'm going to screw with you back. Go watch Janet Parshall's show, and she'll actually speak into the question you're asking or do something even better and read Judges 16 and look at the lay of the land there about how it will describe it for you. Gotcha. All right. Should I tithe on my social security? You bet. Tithe on your social security. Tithe on your paycheck. Tithe on gifts that God has given you. Tithe on gifts that people have given you. Look, there are not biblical requirements like a tax code about lining up if your income is this amount to this amount, do this. And if it's that amount to that amount, do that. It just simply says tithe. It says more than that in the New Testament. It says give generously, sacrificially from the first of what you receive. The general approach that all of us who are doing the way of Jesus should always have in our giving is, Lord, how can I do more? How can I give more to bless people and to honor you? We have limits in this, don't we? But let's always be asking the question to push us to greater levels of generosity. Have that conversation with God but I'd encourage you not to see certain areas of your life as off limits from God or generosity. Look at the total panoply of how God is blessing you and what you're receiving. And from there, seek how to be generous from that. All right, how about this? How was Genesis written? Who was around to relay the story. That's a great one. So, how was Genesis written? Well, it probably wasn't with a number two pencil or a ballpoint pen. The exact method of how it was first written, whether it was on vellum or parchment or even chiseled in stone, which I highly doubt, is kind of a mystery. But you know, there's a lot of interesting conversation about how what we call the Old Testament came to develop and appear in its final form. What I encourage you not to do is think of the Old Testament as a singular book that was written in one place at one time. The Genesis through Deuteronomy story arguably was written first. And as the prophets came along, their messages were recorded and added. The book of Psalms seems to be a hymn book that was just kind of in, well, continuity for hundreds of years, capturing different songs and poems that were written at different times and occasions. But, and this is speculation, there is an argument that can be made that the final form of what we have in the Old Testament probably came about in the exilic or what is known as the post-exilic period. If you don't know what that means, that's why God gave you Google, okay? And the reason people argue that is that within the story of Genesis, there seems to be little commentary put in that came later. Historically, people have attributed Genesis through Deuteronomy to Moses. And yet if you read the end of Deuteronomy, it describes how Moses was dead and, well, buried. I don't think Moses wrote that. Some people actually speculate he may have, prophetically seeing ahead of what was going to happen, and hey, <laughs> leave it to God to kind of pull a fast one like that, right? 
You know, a lot of these stories were originally oral, being transmitted. Think about it that Adam was alive nearly to the time of Noah, being shared from not just a grandfather, but a great-grandfather, but a great-great-grandfather to a great-great-great-grandfather and on and on. The stories being handed down until they were finally put to print. Exact dates I can't give you, but hopefully that gives you an insight on the way and uh, keep asking if you want to follow up. All right, here's a litany of questions relating to some FOF things. Will we all wear masks when we open church? How will we social distance? You know, what we've decided and what's pushing our July 12th open date, rather than like opening in person today, is we want it to be as normal and comfortable as possible. We are trying to strip out as much weird factor But not only that, as much enforcement in policing, because that's not the spirit of this. So let me tell you what we are contemplating now. But of course, keep in mind, as things develop in the next three weeks, this may be tweaked. Right now, we are considering doing one service mask required. So, and we haven't picked which one yet, but if you come to, say, the 1030 service, we're asking you to wear a mask as a way of loving the neighbor as the self who might be uncomfortable gathering around people without masks. But having another service, say 9 a.m., where it is mask optional. And if you want to sing through a mask, sing through a mask. If you don't want to wear the mask, don't wear a mask. Our band and I will not be wearing masks just because it is not feasible to communicate to you in an understandable way if we're talking like this the whole time. But, you know, you don't have to stop at masks. We also welcome bandanas, hoodies, motorcycle helmets, and anything else that you want as a face shield. Bring in your welding gear if you want. That's cool, and do whatever. Now, social distancing, we'll space chairs more, we'll block rows. We're not going to chase you around making sure you stay six feet apart. We'll simply ask that you respect it and set up our worship area in such a way. By the way, you got to see it. Oh, you got to see like the back angle from my vantage point. It's going to be cool when you come back. All right, how about this? When will there be a new sign for FOF at the intersection? Not soon enough. Oh my gosh, have you seen that decrepit thing falling down out there? It's embarrassing and I hide my head in shame and just thank God that trees are blocking it and it's unnoticeable because it is the worst advertisement to our community possible. We actually have things underway right now, looking at samples to put in. We hope that a new sign is up there by the end of summer, but the sooner, the better. Actually, if you'd like to help us with that, if you know a sign person, text me, email me. And if you'd like to help sponsor the sign because these things aren't cheap, we would love your support in that as well. Email me directly, questions relating to that. Okay, let me change gears. How do you confess your sins? What if you don't know them all to ask for forgiveness? How do you confess your sins? Let me show you. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Amen. It can be as basic as that. If there's something specifically that's burdening you, I find it's good to mention it. 
Not because God doesn't know it, but because there's something in naming it that brings it from the shadows into the light with the Lord for us. What if you don't remember them all? You don't need to. Oftentimes, I'll just pray, Lord, I know I've sinned against you and have been callous towards you in countless ways I don't even recount. You don't have to draw them all up because you don't have to name them for them to be forgiven. Because here's the good news. You're not forgiven because you say you're sorry. You're forgiven because Jesus died for you. And Jesus' death covers all your sins, listed and unlisted, mentioned and unmentioned, remembered and forgotten. I got hung up on this once in my own spiritual journey where I was so afraid I wouldn't be forgiven if I didn't ask for forgiveness. And what happens if I left something unsaid or unspoken or died in a place of unrepentance? I remember walking around with almost an OCD, continual prayer tendency of just praying, God, forgive me, oh Lord, forgive me, obsessed. It was works righteousness, thinking I had to do something. No, no. Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins because that mercy and grace is there. And regularly bring to him that which you can, that which you remember, or even the burdens you feel that you cannot articulate or pinpoint to something specifically. So glad you asked. What is the best proof the Bible is true? The stories are true. I get this question from non-believers often and struggle with the answer. Is there actually backed up proof of the resurrection? So we have two questions here. We have a, a question about the Bible in general, and we have a question about the resurrection specifically. And while related, they are not the same question. Let me go to the first. What is the best proof that the Bible is true? There's no such thing as a best proof. The best proof for someone here is not going to be the best proof for someone there. Nor does it come down to one singular proof. It comes down to a multiplicity of proofs and various pieces of evidence that are brought together in aggregate total that even carry more weight in their total than they do in their individual constituent Hearts. This is a gigantic question, and I want to assure you that the reason Christians believe in the Bible is not out of some wishful, like, wish-fulfillment fantasy, oh, I want it to be true, I want it to be true, I want it to be true. No, maybe there's some Christians who do it that way, but that's not historic Christianity. No, historic Christianity rooted it, rooted it in history and happening and reality and philosophy and theology. And dare I say, a bit anachronistically, even forensics? No, they said it was true because it wasn't just a good idea, because it could be verified, at least in many cases, because there was witnesses and testimonies to it. Look, there's nothing in this world that can ever convince you 100% without the slightest shadow of a doubt of something that is true, of anything in this world. But that's a false way to operate to begin with. No. No, we operate with where the reasonable evidence 
and direction lies. I encourage you to Google some books on this or Amazon some books on this today. There's a host of them that you can find. Um, one title is Anything by Lee Strobel is worth your time to read. He's very accessible. I think you'll enjoy the process. And A Case for Christ might be, while 20 years old now, a good starting place to get into that. And then mine, his bibliography. If you'd like some more titles, text them in, and I can help you there as well. And that'll speak into the resurrection question that you have too. Okay. How many people will be able to attend on the first Sunday back? As many as want to. We're not doing reservations. We're not giving tickets. We're not barring people at the door. Who comes, comes. And you know what I found? You're grown-ups. You'll figure it out. We'll have extra wide lanes. We'll have rose blocks so we're not singing on the back of someone else's head. And if you're uncomfortable with how crowded it is, well, remove yourself. That's okay. Or wear your mask. Or come in a hazmat suit for all I care. We want you to figure out how to reasonably function with other human beings without us having to tell you every step of what has to happen or how to do it. And as a follow-up, if I'm, what if I'm still not comfortable in crowds? Shoot, there's people that come to FOF who have never been comfortable in crowds. Uh, okay. If you're not comfortable in crowds, you're not comfortable in crowds. That's okay. God loves you. We love you too. If you need to find little tuck hidey holes here to kind of stay away, you want to stand in an aisle or in a, in a row to the back, that's great. When, when you see the way that we've configured things, you'll see how we have a lot more space now than you might realize from what you're used to. And if you want to stay away for a while to go, ah, oh, is everyone getting sick of FOF in July? I get that. Stay away and we'll welcome you back in August when you see that, God willing, we're all still well. So, I'm, th I'm so grateful you asked and thank you for that. How about this? Is it okay to believe in ghosts? Yeah. I know God says we can't believe in other gods. The Old Testament actually says there are other gods. But I can't help but wonder if it's okay to believe in ghosts and spirits. Yeah. I think you have an inherited idea about what God says and not a biblical idea. Old and New Testament alike are filled with testimony of other celestial beings. We might call them angels or demons, and we're all sit quite comfortably with that, don't we? Do you know what the Old Testament calls them? Gods. And it has no problem doing so. I thought the, the Bible and, and Christianity was monotheistic. Yeah, you're right, it is but there's other celestial beings too. Here's a book I want to recommend that you read. And read anything you can get your, well, almost anything you can get your hands on by this guy. His name is Michael Heiser. And the one that I like is called Unseen Realms, but the one that you should read is called Supernatural. It's more of a lay approach book that will take you into the, the supernatural world of the Bible and I think answer with a lot more specificity some of the questions and implications to what I just can't give justice in a 60-second response to today. Check it out. All right, how about this? All right. With all that is going on in the world, 
a random result of what man is doing here on earth and to earth, or is it like in the time of the Israelites and God is angry at his people and the things that we are doing to each other and his earth? Give me some grace on this one. I'm trying to navigate what you're asking here. But as I try to read between the lines, what I suspect is that what you're saying is, is what we're facing just random, and particularly the, the bad stuff, the rough stuff, the hard stuff? Or is it God orchestrated? Well, A, I want to challenge your premise that it's an either or. Perhaps it's both. God loves paradox. I think of things like predestination and free will. Is it either or? Or is it both? So maybe there's something in that line of thinking to apply here. But you know, it's fascinating when we think about the punishment of God. We often think about like, you know, the Sodom and Gomorrah story and, and the Old Testament fire and brimstone raining down out of heaven with, with warnings from God for the people to flee. And it's like this direct divine wrath of boom, lightning coming down. You know what I mean. There are certainly instances of God bringing forth wrath and carrying out judgment in those spectacular kinds of ways. But far more often, and I encourage you to read Romans chapter one to ground this more for you, is that one of the biggest ways God punishes is he allows people to continue on the course that they choose. That God allows you to do what you want. The wrath of God is often God saying, that's what you want. That's what I'll allow. Along with all the concomitant consequences that comes with it. That's frightening and sobering to me. More frightening often than some kind of divine smiting. Because I know my heart and my inclination and to think that God will allow me to fight him, resist him, and choose my own way. I love the line from that ancient hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Oh, Lord, do not let me have my own way. It's been said there's basically two things you can say in this world. Two things that can be said. Us saying to God, thy will be done. Or God saying to you, thy will be done. Let me take this. I am very troubled about the invisible or unseen stance taken by the church in today's protests and rioting. I feel compelled to want to speak up for what Jesus would do. How would Jesus have responded today? You know, last Sunday, we took an entire service and devoted it exclusively to this question, specifically in the wake of everything revolving around George Floyd. And I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that. You can catch it on our YouTube channel. Go back and listen to last Sunday and soak deep in what we, as this church shared on that. But you know, 
I always encourage believers, don't ignore the prophetic call that God is placing on your life. Just because others don't feel a burden for what you feel doesn't mean that the burden you feel is invalid or unimportant. It is near impossible for a group to rally around every cause, every angle, every path of what needs to be done in the kingdom of God. That's why God has individuals like you. If you're compelled to speak, speak. If you're compelled to stand, stand. If you're compelled to bring voice to those who are oppressed in this world, hurt in this world, or a tragedy that's occurred and is occurring in this world, listen to that. But then do it Jesus' way. What I'm not suggesting is that you go and flip tables in a temple. But what I am suggesting is the greater principles that he laid down for his followers to follow. Of doing it with mercy and compassion. To do it without fear of personal recourse. To be willing to suffer for him and absorb the cost that will come upon you and every prophet who has ever spoken. To do it with faith and as an ultimate goal of pointing people to God's goodness and not your own and not societies, and not a parties, and not a platforms. Find the prophetic contours and mirror them in God's way. All right. I'm out of time here for today. 30 minutes, it goes like that, and I mean, I know you can't see that, but I, I scratched the surface. I got good news for you. Questions you never thought you could ask in church is continuing for the next couple of weeks. Through June and the first week of July, we're continuing with this. And questions that haven't come in today, we still got them. Live text will be open, but we will hit some of these as well. And we hope you can tune in us next Sunday to get even more.